something to say. Hello everybody, it's Charlie. Welcome to episode 614, Narrative Style, Difficulty, and Slime Rancher. Yeah, we're going to talk about story stuff today. And I don't mean just about writing story, but about how we engage with story. And how story engages with us. And I'm going to do that via a game that I absolutely love. And that's Slime Rancher. But before we get started... Our glorious and grand Flapton, Queen Space Monkey of the Universe, has called in using the call-in feature over on Anchor and given us a message. And it actually inspired this episode, so let's hear what she had to say. Okay, it's a Flapton, or a Commodore now, or whatever the hell I am, I don't even know. But I have so many things I want to comment on, but I only have a minute because I already tried this once. So Oops. anyway, the whole thing about Martin and not being able to get through his books, I am so with you. Couldn't get through Tolkien. Just it bored me to tears. So I totally understand that. Um, I'll comment more as I go along listening, but I do want to say that I'm so glad that you're doing this again, because I really love it, and I love the interaction. It's so much fun. Although it is getting to be my bedtime, because I have to get up at 6 in the morning. Anyway, thanks for doing this again. I love you loads and I miss you. Bye. I miss you too. Oh my goodness, you have no idea how much I miss all my friends back on the East Coast. Especially here lately, here in the lonely isle that is America's broken heartland. But we're not going to be talking about that now. Yes, thank you. I am very glad to be doing the podcast too. I'm glad that someone out there has enjoyed it because I really do. And I would do this whether or not anybody was listening. I know that for a fact because I did this for almost a year before anybody started listening. Way, way back in the day. We'll talk about that on a future episode. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah, um, if you're not a, familiar with what she's talking about, a couple episodes back, I mentioned how it was very difficult for me to get through George R. R. Martin's work because I don't actually enjoy his writing style. And I, I get flack for that all the time because as a fantasy writer, how can you not read him? Well, I also have a really hard time getting through Brandon Sanderson. And I'm actually about to start um, the, the his, uh, um, what is it, Storm chronicles or whatever um the stormlight books i think they're called anyway i'm about to start them again because i find his naming conventions really tricksy for my brain and i i get lost about who the characters are especially in a book like that that it that goes over so much time and the difference between the my, my experience with george R. R. martin and my experience with brandon sanderson is I'm actually enjoying Brandon Sanderson. I just got lost because so much is happening in those books that I, I, I literally got lost and I need to go back and start again and pay much closer attention. And I'm enjoying them enough that I'm actually probably going to pay attention with like a pad of paper beside me so I can write down notes so I can keep myself involved. 
And that's a huge difference there. I'm not saying that George R. R. Martin is a bad writer, and I don't like that term. That is poison, I think, when we start talking about things, because so much about writing is taste. Now, we can talk about someone's use of grammar and spelling and punctuation and everything, and you can hate James Joyce because he threw all of that out the window in writing the book, several of his books, but that didn't actually make him a bad writer. I mean, Ulysses is an extremely difficult book to read, and I'm not going to say that it isn't, and I'm not going to say that you have to read it or that you have to like it. But without people like Joyce, who throw all the conventions of writing out the window and throw everything at the wall to see what sticks, we honestly won't be able to find out what sticks. So I, I don't like the term bad writer, and I would never call George R. R. Martin a bad writer. He has a huge fan base, and because of that, he's a good writer. People are connecting to his story. Popularity is not quality, and I, please don't ever think that I'm saying that when I talk about someone's audience size. But what I am saying is, if your story is able to resonate with anybody, you are a good writer. Even if it's just one other person, even if it's your great aunt Sally, if great aunt Sally likes your books, you know what? You're a good writer because great aunt Sally loves your books. And she's not just saying that because she likes you. You know what I'm saying? The ability to communicate a story, it may be a story that only resonates with a few people. It may be a story that resonates with a lot of people, or it may be a show that gets a book that gets really popular because it gets a TV series or a movie based off of it. And we can see that a lot. I mean, I wouldn't have read the first Divergent book or any of the books in that series if I hadn't seen the movie, found it interesting, and wanted to see what the books were about. And so I read those books. That has nothing to do with the quality of those books, but there you go. You know, I wouldn't have read, you know, City of Bones and all of those books. Well, actually, I would have read them. I did read them before the movie, so... That's not a good example, but, you know, a lot of people came into it because of the movie and then later because of the TV show Shadowhunters, which has made those books bigger and more popular because of the amplification effect of having a really bad flip book of a movie that I, I, I hate myself for kind of liking a little bit, even though it's utter trash. I'm not going to say that it's not trash, but I kind of like it a little bit because it at least has some of the stuff from the book that I like. And you really have to have read the book to even understand the movie. And it was a bad adaptation. I do like the show as well. But that amplification gets them a bigger audience. And sometimes that's what it takes. I'm not going to say which of these authors is better. I will say I read Cassandra Clare because, honestly, her books remind me of Friends that I had in Maryland when I was growing up. And they remind me of some of the games we used to play with each other, you know, cause we used to do a lot of vampire LARPing and her books really remind me of that. And so I have an odd comfort with her text that you might not have. And that's a weird reason to like a book. You know, we're currently reading and we'll be doing an episode on dreadnought by, um, April Daniels soon. And for me, oh, I love this book. Like, I really love this book. And I'm chomping at the bit 
to actually start reading the next book, Sovereign, because the next book's already out. But I don't want to taint my discussion of Dreadnought by anything that happens in Sovereign. So until Brian and I can sit down and actually do our talk about that book, I'm not letting myself start the next one, which is driving me crazy. It really, really is. But my reason for loving that book has a lot to do because of how I see myself in it. It's about a trans superhero. And when Danny is talking, like it's really helped me a lot. Talk to Brian because I've, as you guys know, I've been having a lot of dysphoria issues lately. And when talking to, we, we were able to use this book and go, you know, you see how Danny described what was happening inside her head there. That's what I would, I go through often. And for the first time, Brian could get it because April Daniels did a very good job of describing what dysphoria feels like. And it's a hard experience to describe to somebody. And I just love the book. I fell in love with the characters. I love Calamity. I love everyone but Grey Witch, to be honest. Like, Doc Impossible is... Oh, I, lo- I love Doc Impossible so much. But we'll, we'll save that for when we actually talk about the book. But Grey Witch? Oh. Anyway. Don't like her. Tolkien, and see, this is where it can be a choice. I think Martin writes the way Martin writes, and that is what makes it hard for me to get into his books, because I feel like they meander too much, and I feel like he's way too interested in looking at young, nubile, naked women, and I, I don't care, and I think he's much too excited about torture and pain, and honestly... I have Wizard's First Rule and that series for that because, you know, uh, yeah, we're not going to go there. We're not going to start going down there again. But Tolkien, I think, is a very interesting gateway into this because Tolkien is meant to be difficult to read. And it's actually kind of meant to be a little bit dry and a little bit boring. And I don't mean that as an insult. Tolkien wanted the Lord of the Rings books to read like a medieval text. And so they're written like a medieval text in style, in language, and in, I mean, everything about them, including how they are chaptered, how they are collected into books internally within the series. Because as you know, there's more than three Lord of the Rings books. If you actually read the books, because you, I mean, Fellowship of the Ring itself is what, five books, I think? It's three to five books in and of itself. But that style and that convention was his choice because he felt that England didn't have its own mythology. And yeah, England had a a mythology originally, but it was lost and it wasn't popularly known. And so he wanted to kind of come up with his own and that was the purpose for the book. So he, as a translator, and if you haven't read his translation of um, um, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it's a very good translation. Um... But through work like that and through his job being a philologist, I mean, he really knew how language worked. He really crafts what feels like a medieval manuscript. And while I like reading Chrétien de Troyes and parts of all by Wolfram von Eschenbach and all of them, I I don't often recommend them to people because, well, if you're not a fan of that medieval style of writing, you're not going to get into these books. And you're just not. And that's okay. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Though, it's one of the reasons why a lot of people who encounter The Hobbit first fall in love with The Hobbit, which is told much more like a storyteller would tell a story and much more um, colloquially. And that, there's a reason for that. He wrote that book for his kid. And so he's talking to his kid. He's not trying to write the grand narrative of England. And I think the Silmarillion itself goes back and forth between these styles of, you know, I'm writing a medieval manuscript and here I am writing this story that means something to me. Like Baron and Luthien to me is one of those stories, like, and Morgoth and the Dragons, those stories to me are much more fantasy stories than they are in that vein. But um, that may just be me and because I love those two stories so much from, from the Silmarillion. But this is something that we don't really talk about much because it's something that's rather invisible and that's style of storytelling. Now, I am not a fan of zombie books, but if, for those of you who have followed the podcast long enough for who have talked to me about these things, you'll know that I love the book World War Z. And World War Z does something very interesting in that it takes the idea of a zombie apocalypse and basically makes the coffee table book, the Ken Burns Civil War document, you know, coffee table book, where the war stories are collected, kind of after the fact. And that narrative structure that kind of almost, you know, first-hand documentary structure is really interesting in looking at something like that through fresh and different eyes. It's why you'll, there will never be a really good adaptation of Dracula, because you can't adapt Dracula. Dracula is nothing but a series of letters and journal entries and news reports. I think there are ways you could kind of try to do that, but it would feel weird and it wouldn't make for a compelling film or television series to watch. Though I think you could do a really fun thing on the internet with it where you put up, you know, fake news website for the news chapters and maybe somebody's Twitter account or blog and their YouTube channels for some of it and, you know, really kind of play it up that way. I think you could do kind of a modern version of that. But again, that's not a movie. And so when you're thinking about how to tell your story or when you're approaching someone else's story, one very important thing is to try to figure out what, in what way are they trying to tell me this tale? Because in so many ways, that method of storytelling, if you're not a fan of it, like if you don't like documentaries, then if they're telling their story in a documentary style, then that's not something you're going to be interested in. It's kind of like Colossal, which is one of my favorite movies that came out in a while, in a long while, because I think it's a very fresh take on a topic that I love. It's a kaiju movie. It's a movie about a giant killer monster that terrorizes the world that's told through the rubric of a rom-com. And it has all the elements of a romantic comedy. And it plays itself off as a romantic comedy. And yeah, of course, eventually there are some twists and turns and the monster shows up and da 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 I don't want to spoil that movie at all. It's a very 
fun movie if you're into that. But if you don't like kaiju movies, if you don't like monster movies, if Godzilla and King Kong and all of that doesn't appeal to you, don't even try to watch it. And if you don't like rom-coms, don't watch this movie because it plays off the conventions of both in a very interesting way that kind of contrasts them. And in a way, when you're done, you realize that every rom-com is kind of a monster movie and every monster movie is kind of a rom-com in a strange way because of the way the two styles are conflated and mixed together to make this story. It, 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 if you haven't seen Colossal, definitely watch it. It's, a, it's an interesting movie. But this brings me to Slime Rancher, which is a game that anytime I can talk about, I'm going to talk about it because I love this game and I don't think it gets as much coverage as it should because it is a stupid game. And I don't mean that in the way of, like, it's dumb. Because it's really not. It's very... In so many ways, it's simplicity belies what this game really is. But what compels me about it is the way that it tells story and how the story unfolds to the game. Because it is a game where you move to Far Far Away Ranch, which is out in space somewhere. And you've bought this ranch and you're here to ranch slimes. Slimes are these little critters, little kind of balls of goo, that when they're fed, poop out a plort, and the plorts are worth money. And so you're basically raising them so that you can get these plorts so you can make your, as many new bucks as you can. That's basically the gist of the game. And so you get to build a ranch and actually capture them and in some instances tame them and you farm food for them and you feed them and you collect up the things and it's, it's just it, it's a very on its face simple game and it's a game that i have played way too much and i'm going to admit that i, I play this game way more than i should i'm looking at my steam right now and as of recording this is that right that can't be right that can't be right Holy crap, I have played Slime Rancher for 181 hours. Wow. I mean, I've had it for a very long time. So that that's, you know, spread out over time. That's not crazy. I mean, this is kind of my go-to game. And often while listening to an audiobook, I'll put this on. I, I'll play it for my breaks sometimes when I'm working. But wow, 181 hours. I didn't realize that that was a thing. That That's that's just shy of Skitty, City Skylines. I played City Skylines for 211. Oh, wow. Holy crap. That's almost more than I played No Man's Sky before they broke it with Next. I played that for 160, 186 hours. Wow. That's the one thing that Steam does is it makes you realize how many hours you play a video game. And that's a lot, especially when you consider that you don't play during the day except for on weekends sometimes. And you only play at night for a little bit as you're winding down from your day after dinner. Wow. Okay, I'm sorry. I played this game for 181 hours. So like I was saying, I've played this game so much more than I probably should have. 
so I think that's it right there. I love this game. And just recently, I've completely redid my ranch because I keep thinking of, wouldn't this be fun? And I have my disco kitties now that are free range and running around. And that, that's if you mix a uh, tabby slime with a mosaic slime, you get these kitty cats that look like they're made out of mirror balls, from, like a disco mirror ball. And they run around and they shine and they flash and they sometimes set things on fire. But <laughs> I call them my disco kitties and I love them and they run around <laughs> and, uh, it's a silly game. It's a silly, silly game, but I absolutely love it. And what got me into this was, one, the low stakes of playing. And we can talk about that in the game where you just kind of run around and you explore and you learn things and you find things and you can kind of go at your own pace. There's not a directed story to the game. Okay, so that that's number one. And I really like games where you can kind of just play however you want. That's why I liked Old No Man's Sky and... New No Man's Sky, I'm not that big a fan of, and especially because every time I load it up, it does terrible crashy things and loses all my progress. And Yeah, yeah, trying to get that wider audience, you just, uh, I feel like I'm playing Star Wars Galaxies all over again, which is really upsetting because that's actually a game that I've compared No Man's Sky to on numerous occasions, and it's going the same way. New games enhancements just came. <laughs> I can't wait till they bring the Jedi in. <clears throat> anyway, throughout the game, <laughs> getting back to Slime Rancher, because you do days of rants about No Man's Sky. Anyway, back to Slime Rancher. The way the story is actually told in this game is through letters that you get from the characters. So you get star mail from characters as you do certain things. It triggers an email, basically, from them, and you get a letter from them, and Sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it's just about what's going on with them. You also get to interact with them through the exchange, because they need things that you can grow for them. And through that, you actually learn a lot about them as well. And through notes that they leave, through, leave for you out on the range. And you learn a lot about Hodge that way, for example. I'm sorry, Hobson. That way, a lot through, through the game. And Hobson is interesting because he's the one who previously owned the ranch. And as you play the game, you start learning about the relationship that he once had with Thora. And what that there, there's a very, I don't know. And then you meet Mochi and Mochi is such a wonderful, horrid, nasty person. And then Ogden and Ogden's sad story about how he, fell from grace because oh man did he fall from grace he did some very bad things very bad things <laughs> but he's he's trying to make amends for it and then of course there's bob and bob is a uh, collection of slimes that put, literally put on a trench coat a scarf and a fedora and try to get you to get them chicken <laughs> because bob went chicken bob total human Bob one chicken. Uh, and, you know, Victor, which I'm hoping we learn more about Victor soon, because through the expansions, we actually get to go out to Ogden's retreat, and we get to go out to um, Mo Mochi Miles, her ranch as well, and we actually get to add them as extensions to ours, and we get more story about them there, and more we learn more about them there. And I'm kind of hoping that Victor 
or Thora is next on that list because I think that would be amazing. But we'll have to see what they come up with. But it's kind of just this drip and drab, and it's only there if you want it to be there. Like, you don't have to read the star mails, and you don't have to read the little info dumps that are left throughout the world. Because you come across these little kind of like floating hologram H's, and you click on them, and it's basically Hobson left you a note about what happened there or something about his life. But when you do, it introduces you to this beautiful world and these beautiful characters that I just fell in love with. And it makes me love the game. And as the expansions have come out, except for the last one, the automation expansion, just basically made the game less um, difficult. Well, it made it feel less like a slog. It freed you up to be able to, to automate certain aspects of the ranch so that you can be more creative and play with things. And of course, every weekend they spawn the party Gordo somewhere in the world. And Gordos are giant, giant slimes that you feed them a whole bunch and they pop and you find stuff inside them. And so the party Gordo shows up every weekend in a different place. And so that's always fun to hunt for. But I really love the story and how they told the story. And when I talk to people about this game, it's something that I truly, truly love. And you, you can tell when you come to my house because I have I have Slime Rancher plushies and I love them. And, they're, you know, I, I have a lot of Slime Rancher stuff in my house because it is something that I love so much. But the man, manner of storytelling is not for everyone. And that's something that if you're a writer, you need to get used to is the way you tell your story may not attract a huge audience. It may, it may not. And the point is to want to tell the story. And also if you're a fan, and I think nowadays it's almost more important to realize as a fan, if somebody doesn't like stories that you like or likes a story that you don't, well, maybe that story wasn't for you, and maybe the story you love isn't a story for them. And starting to realize that, because as much as I love Slime Rancher, and the story that has evolved over there, and how I'm hoping that at some point before the game ends, there will be either a bittersweet or a sweet or some kind of better resolution to the story about Thora and Hobson, because honestly... When I opened the last letter that the last uh, message that I got from Hob Hobson, I, I I'm not gonna say that I cried because I didn't cry, but I did get a little misty eyed, and it made me wonder, you know, what's next? Where where's this going? What's happening? And that is what matters. I love the story in Slime Rancher. I love the game and everything about it. You might not. I mean, if you're into first-person shooters, not the game for you. If you're into puzzle games, it has some fun puzzles in it, and they're just there. That, that's the other thing that I love about this game is when talking about self-directed, yeah, you've got the Slimepedia, and the Slimepedia has a lot of information in it that you uncover over time. But it doesn't explain everything. And there are some puzzles in the game, and they're not, you know, super difficult. But 
they're not expressly labeled as, hello, I am a puzzle. I like that. I really like that. And so you, you get to explore to your heart's content and you get to play to your heart's content and finding new ways to mix the slimes to make different kinds and playing around with what they are and how they work and this and that and the other thing. It really makes me happy. It really... It's, it's a low-key game that I can play from time to time that takes me away from the cares of the world and makes me wonder more and more about the characters. And it's a world that I like to be in. And that should be the test for whether or not a story is good for you. If it's a world that you want to spend more time in, it's a great story. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. If you don't want to spend time in it, but other people do, then it's a story for them. And it's all about these little things. Like I said, running around and turning a corner on a strange little island that it was difficult to get to in Slime Ranger and finding a little Hobson H. Oh, here's more story. It's It was so exciting to play through. I've actually been thinking about starting over a brand new ranch from the beginning just so I can play through that story again and re-experience it. I don't have to. I still have all the star mails in my star mail, so I could blow them up and read them. And I've already got, you know, all of the H's unlocked, and I could run around and reread them anytime I want to. But it was that thrill of discovery that made it work for me. Because it's the kind of story I wanted. George R. R. Martin isn't for everybody. The new Star Wars isn't for everybody. But you know what? The old Star Wars wasn't either. It, it's hard to remember now that that movie didn't get good reviews when it first came out, when the original Star Wars came out. It eventually got bad reviews <laughs> for the sequels. But, I mean, people have always had reactions to Star Wars movies. But it doesn't matter if you liked the last jedi or if you liked the force awakens that doesn't take away what you had previously it doesn't matter that i haven't really like liked an alien movie since well i, I kind of like alien resurrection i mean it's not bad but since aliens the second one i still have them i watch them i love them same with my star treks I'm not crazy in love with Discovery. I'm curious about what season two is going to be. I think season one was good enough. I think it could have been better. It's good enough. It's not ruining what I had. Sometimes stories aren't for you. And in this world where entitlement runs rampant, I think we forget that sometimes. And so it's wonderful anytime you can say, you know... I couldn't get into Tolkien. I found him boring. You know what? I love Tolkien and I find him boring. <laughs> but that's because I love world lore. Like lore to me is almost more important than plot in some respects. Because I'm a huge world building geek. Again, why I love Slime Rancher. Slime Rancher is all about the world building. And understanding how it works, right? 
but people aren't like me. <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons why I love Dune and Foundation and a lot of the series that I love is all the little nitpicky lore. It's why, you know, the Green Lantern Corps, back when I actually bought comics, was one of my favorite things. And I'm hoping I'll be able to start reading comics again from DC when DC the DC Universe thingy happens because they're going to put some comics on it. But seriously, all I do is read Marvel Comics now because I've got a Marvel Limited subscription and I can wait six months. Yeah, <laughs> you know not in a rush i got a lot of content but anyway you know it's why i love the green lantern because it's all about the world building and the lore and all this stuff that you don't get with a lot of the other superheroes it's one of the reasons i love star wars and star trek and everything else but yeah if you're writing a story think about the narrative style and think only first 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 is it something you desperately want to do? Because if it if it is, unless you have to make money off of it, like have to, that's all you need. Someone somewhere will like it. it. May just be one person, but someone somewhere will like it. If you're kind of okay with it, then ask yourself: Are other people going to care about this style of writing? If the answer to that is no, consider whether or not it's something that you should do. And the same thing for fans, for all of us. Don't attack people. Like, I despise the Twilight books, and I despise the Twilight movies. I don't care if you like them or not. I really don't. They don't affect me one way or the other. If you start arguing that they're the best kind of vampire, we'll get into things, because I, I'll probably forever be an Anne Rice fan. But... <laughs> and... I'm only on, and I'm kind of on the fence whether or not she has the best vampires. That's topic for another discussion. Maybe we'll do that in October. Best vampire series. Anywho, if you want to call in like Flapton, like the Flapton did, you can use the Anchor app at Anchor.fm. You can follow me over there, and you can leave a message. Yes, those messages are limited to one minute now. They used to be limited to three, but now they're limited to one and. While that's frustrating now, I'm sure if I start getting a crazy amount of these, I'll be happy it's only a one minute. Make it easier to listen to. Um, <laughs> that might be why they limited it to a minute. But you can call in and we will talk about whatever. Um, please keep it safe for work because I try to keep these shows safe for work because I do know that there are people out there that listen to me in their cubicle because y'all have told me that. So... Thank you so much. You can find links to my social media and everywhere that you can find me over at projectshadow.com. And the book's going good. I just finished the outline, and today is the day that writing really begins in earnest, I hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Anywho, until next time, have the fun. Bye.